Hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the show. My name is Colton G and this week on the DTP, we're going to be taking a journey beyond the river and through the bloodlines with Raul Mendoza. What does that mean? Of course, you guys know that I'm going to be telling you that very, very soon, but there's a few things I want to do before we get there. First off, you guys know I'm going to go ahead and thank those of you who checked out last week's episode, which happened to feature actor, director, voice actor, and musician Wilson Bose as we spoke about his latest single, Runway Lights. Runway Lights put up over 30,000 plays in its first week, so you know, I heavily underestimated that in last week's pre-roll so you know that has been crushing if you guys want to go and check that episode out or any of the other amazing episodes that happen to be in our backlog you can find them on whatever service you happen to be listening to the desert tiger podcast on right now and of course another thing i want to do before we jump into today's episode is go and mention that today's episode is brought to you by ilovedtp.com because why? That is the best place where you can support the Desert Tiger podcast because it's where you go ahead and get yourself nice and fresh in the latest Desert Tiger podcast gear. Like you've heard me say before, those hats and those tank tops are on their way very, very soon, you guys. So stay hype about that. Alright, today on the show, we're going to be taking a journey beyond the river and through the bloodlines with Raul Mendoza. Of course, you guys may have heard of Raul before when I've spoken about the Nerdcore podcast before on the show. Raul is actually the main brain behind the Nerdcore, and we are going to be diving into the Nerdcore a bit with Raul today, but our main focus of today's conversation is is to dive into Raul's love of filmmaking. Since 2016, Raul has been a film student. Of course, that wasn't his first major, and we're going to discuss how he ended up transitioning into film, what made him decide that this is what he wanted to pursue with his life, and how he wanted to express his vision. And of course, with that, we're going to be diving into Raul's short films, at least some of Raul's short films today. We're going to be discussing Bloodlines, a documentary that actually looks at the history of Raul's family through the eyes of the past, the present, and the future. Raul is actually Latino, living in Brownsville, Texas, pretty much right on the border, you guys, if you don't know where that is. So it's a very interesting story, and I was very excited to chat with Raul about that. We're going to be speaking about another short film that he did entitled Killing You, which was an interpretation of a play. And of course, we're going to be diving into Beyond the River, which is the main reason why Raul is here, the main reason we're chatting it up here on the DTP today. And Beyond the River is his latest vision. It is the first film under Cyclops Films, which is Raul's production company that he has started up with his brother and beyond the river takes a look at two young lovers that are about to be forced apart because of reasons that are beyond their control they now have 24 hours 
before one of these young lovers is going to have to leave the other one for they don't know how long, they don't know what the circumstances are or if this is ever going to be solved or if things are ever going to be the same, if they will ever feel the same again and I want to dive into what inspired this film for Raul and just all the emotions that go into it. So of course, let's just dive right into this one, you guys. This is a really, really lengthy conversation, but I promise you it is a damn good one. So let's jump into this conversation with Raul Mendoza as we go beyond the river and through the bloodlines. The Desert Tiger Podcast. And we are here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. Today on the DTP, I am joined by filmmaker Raul Alejandro Mendoja. He is also the main mind behind the Nerdcore Podcast, something you may have heard me speak about here before on the DTP. I am so excited to finally have you on the show, Raul. Thank you so much for having me, bro. And I love how you did a little bit of the Puerto Rican accent with my with my last name. It's that Mendoja. Mendoja. <laughs> Instead of Mendoza. <laughs> That's great. That's great, dude. I love it. Well, thank you for having me on, man. I'm glad that I finally, you know, I'm here after having you for like what? How many times have we had you on the show? Like three, three four times? Uh, like two or three, I think. I can't even remember to be honest. Either way, it's a good time every time. The best one was when uh, when the fire alarm uh, went off, remember? <laughs> right in the middle of recording and you got forced to leave the building. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. The best. I love that so much. I love that. I got stuck with your co-host for a while. We were wondering like what was happening if there was an actual fire going on at your place and if if we were ever (laughs) going to hear back from you. And eventually you just came back and you're like, you were super mad because somebody set it off by accident. (laughs) And then later that night, one happened at uh, one in the morning. Oh, you had another one go off that night? Yep. Yep. At one in the morning. Oh my goodness, man. The student residence. Yeah, that's the life, man. It sucks. Yeah, that's the one time I wish, you know, that stupid viral alarm would have went off earlier. Because I was I woke up in a panic. I'm like, hey, wait, wait, wait what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I I was like, I, I knew two things. Grab my phone and grab my cane and keys. And I was like, okay, okay, I got them. I got them. And I'm getting out of the door and my RA's out there. And he looks at me like Dude, I know. Just please walk. I was like, let me just lock this freaking door. <laughs> I got out. And uh, yeah, that, that's the story of the, the great fire alarm. The great nerdcore fire alarm <laughs> debacle. <laughs> oh, man, that was fantastic. I loved it. So we just mentioned that this actually happened while you were in student residence and you actually are in school for filmmaking, correct? Yep, I go to film school. Fantastic. So what led to that? Where does the love of film begin for a young Raul? And at what point do you decide that this medium is a way that you want to express yourself specifically within that directorial role? Well, I mean, my love for film, it goes back to when I was young. I mean, I think that's when I became artistically sound. 
Uh, I, I told Brad, I've told everybody, you know, I've, I've been doing rounds with this film to do the podcast, to mm -hmm. promote this film. And I'll, I'll give them all a different answer. It sounds different, but it's the same thing. Basically, the thing that's always interested me about making art, it goes back to when I was a kid watching Bambi, The Lion King, and Dumbo. You know, I, you're, you have a child there who's, who doesn't even know how to, to, uh, how to understand the whole concept of death, but somehow something makes, makes that child cry when Bambi's mom gets shot. Or when Dumbo gets separated from his mom, or when uh, when Mufasa dies, and or and then Simba goes and finds him dead. You know, there's something there that is able to make a child feel like that. That's really when I look back, I'm like, that's where my curiosity with filmmaking began. And then you know, into my teen years, I got more into different movies. You know, I, I, I like I told uh, Brad. I, the first time I watched Interstellar from Christopher Nolan during my senior year of high school, it really opened my eyes. And I watched that movie a good 10, 12 times now. You know, like, wow. Like, I, I had never seen anything like that before. And it really led me to want to, like, you know, explore other films. And, you know, I started watching different films from different countries. And, you know, then my college years come in and I'm really, you know, I'm exploring more and more. And I'm, you know, expanding my, my love for film. And then I wasn't entirely going to be a film uh, filmmaker. I, I was going for chemical engineering my first year of college, and I, I just wasn't happy. I was I was in a really really bad depressive episode. So then uh, one day one day in 2016, spring of 2016, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try this out. After watching a little movie called Django Unchained from Quentin Tarantino. That's not even my favorite movie of all time, by the way. That's that's not. It doesn't even crack my top ten. But it's one of the three movies that really isolated the idea of me wanting to be a director. And I said, you know what? I kind of want to try this out. After that, I would take a crack at YouTube videos, and I would play with a camera that didn't even have 720p. Uh, what's it called? A resolution. It, it was, I think, it capped at 440, honestly. And uh, I started making content, and uh, I, I realized that I don't like being in front of a camera. I love being in back of it and controlling everything that happens. And my love for directing came after seeing directors such as Guillermo del Toro, Alfonso Cuaron, and Alejandro González Iñárritu, and seeing how them like being Latinos and being able to command a, command a film like that and be able to direct the hell out of it. And uh, that's really what led me to where I'm at right now. And then in the um, in the fall of 2016, I released my first short called uh, Immortal. Okay. So from the start, storytelling was definitely a mm -hmm. very big part for you that you can definitely tell. Because within Disney, like you said... Even yeah. for a child, you can't really tell. But the way that they're able to portray a story yeah. is able to connect with your emotions, even if maybe mm -hmm. not necessarily they aren't developed yet. And that's something with me as well, where apparently my favorite movie growing up was Pinocchio. I don't mm -hmm. even remember that. But my mom tells me, like, no, that was the one movie you wanted to watch all the time because it just clicked with you. You got it. Mm -hmm. It was it. So, like, they could always do that. And then... To go from there to Interstellar, where it's very, very it's big on telling story and not necessarily even just through dialogue. A lot of emotion 
just mm-hmm. with the characters and then like you said with Tarantino like Django maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. the best film is in like not going to make anyone's top 10 films but the way that he's able to draw an emotion from mm-hmm. you and the way that he gets feeling from you from the way that he mm-hmm. portrays that story mm-hmm. yeah no i agree man by the way i was um you know it wasn't just even watching them i would actually as a child reenact the films i would reenact the films with my brother and we would like play in the in, instead of you know playing like we were pretending to be lions, we actually would reenact uh, Lion King, us too. Really, and that's like your younger brother who mm-hmm. is actually going to school for acting. Yes, we would reenact them. Uh, I did a little bit of theater when I got to you know elementary school, but I, after that I stopped because I, you know like I said I'm not a performer. I don't I don't you know I don't claim to be. The only reason I love podcasting so much is because I don't have to be in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to get nervous like that. But yeah, dude, um, there, there's three films that made me realize I wanted to be a director. It was uh, it's Django, Interstellar, and 2001 is Space Odyssey. Those three films are the ones that real solidified it for me, and I said, I'm going to be a director. And only two of those movies are on my top ten list. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. actually really interesting because space odyssey as well another one of those films where a lot of it is Mm -hmm. built with the suspense of sound and Mm -hmm. what you're seeing not necessarily what is happening in the interactions on screen yeah i it was my teenage years when i started to experiment and and you know really watch a lot of kubrick and honestly, I think it was that really what opened my eyes. All, all I'm a huge Kubrick fan. fan. So, you know, I, I've watched all of them except for Lolita. I've never watched Lolita. But I've watched all of them. And then all of them, you know, they they surprise me every time I've watched them. Uh, 2001 is one of my favorites from him. But if I have to be, you know, frank, my personal favorite, without, you know, having any bias, it was it's Eyes Wide Shut. It's the last film he ever made. Mm-hmm. I just love that erotic thriller film that he did where he basically, you know, exposed Hollywood for their um, terrible, terrible, terrible nature. Oh, hearing the the words of that film gives me chills because that is a very powerful film. And that's a movie that got extremely heavily edited after he passed away just so that, like, mm-hmm. the true message that he did intend wasn't mm-hmm. fully given. And even then, the film still got through a huge amount and there's still the controversy whether that was the final cut or not people believe that that's not the final cut of the film and you know then you have uh, i believe the son was the one who was like yeah pretty much if what you're watching is basically what he wanted to put on there but it's it, there's a whole controversy whether that was even the final cut he was supposed to that was supposed to put out oh absolutely and who really truly knows because those that do aren't going to say so themselves yeah. Yeah, I mean the one who process, the one who only knows is the one who's dead. You know, it's it's Kubrick. You know, but he's dead. So. Exactly because he knows exactly what message he was trying to get through. Yeah, and uh, it, it was it was a lot. It was him. It was uh, the the three amigos of cinema, and you know a lot of other people. Like you know, even women in in the in the filmmaking industry that inspire me so much, like Ava DuVernay. She's a huge inspiration to me, and I think that she's one of one of the greatest directors right now. Hell, uh, Ryan Coogler, who did Black Panther last year, you know, he's a huge inspiration to me as well. And after watching, you know, Fruitvale Station, 
those are like you know I could I can hand, I can name you a handful of directors that really led me to I was here but you know it was a, a lot was looking at friends like Aiden Burns who were making films and I'm like you know what I can do that I can do that and then I finally did it in 2016 and I I love what I was able to do like you said you didn't actually first go to school for film so Mm-mm. Once you actually make the decision, was that a little bit difficult of a jump? Once you knew in your heart, was that just the first thing that you absolutely had to do? And like you said, once you finally get into that, you get into your first short film. Yeah, it was hard, man. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that my parents were you know, as happy either, but... First of all, they didn't really understand what I was getting myself into. When I explained that there's so much opportunities in this industry, it's an industry that is not going to die for now because, you know, there's always going to be a need to tell stories. So, you know, it's just really highly competitive. But if you really do love something, you know, you're going to keep trying and trying and trying. You know, you're going to fail a lot, but you're going to keep trying. So for me, I'm I'm Latino, bro. We're we're so family-oriented. I, the last thing I wanted to do was disappoint my family and be that kid who changed majors in, in college and then, you know, two years down the line chose something that maybe he didn't even love and he doesn't know what to do with his life. But when I t- took my first uh, cinema class, which was at my college, I took an introduction to French cinema. I knew that this was what I wanted to do in my life. Oh, yeah. I, I was. I, I watched these films and I'm like, dude, I... Like, like, this is making me want to pick up a camera and make something. So during my intro to French literature class, when, when my professor comes to me and she's like, you know, this is the project. You can make a video. You can make a short film. And I told you, man, I'm going to make you a short film. I'm going to make a short film. And uh, it was really something when, you know, when, she, when I turned it in and then she responds to me in an email. She says, I'm going to be using you as the class example because this is exactly what I'm looking for. You're a very talented filmmaker. And uh, then that professor would end up writing me a letter of recommendation to uh, to go to where I'm at right now. It clicked for me after 2016 that this is kind of what I was doing, kind of what I wanted to do for the rest of my my, my life because I, I, I love it. Uh, you know, I, and I mean it. There's nothing else in this world that really makes me happy as much as uh, movies do. You know, this is just, it's, it's the truth. You know, I, I there, if I wasn't studying film, I, I would not be studying anything else. I would probably just not be going to school anymore working the job I work right now and basically I feel like that would actually be the disappointment that my parents would would, uh, would think you know it's not just it's not the disappointment that I'm going to school for something that I may not get a job in after I finish school but I for me I said I want to be happy and what makes me happy is making movies so I'm going to pursue that oh definitely and I can only guess that your parents were a little bit disappointed because they felt like they had fought for this opportunity for you for so long. But at the same time, they fought for this opportunity for you. They fought for the opportunity for you to actually pursue what you want. Yeah, Miguel's going to be an engineer. Miguel's going to be making a lot of money. He's not going to have to worry about struggling like we did. But, you know, and, and I understand, but, you know, like, you know, struggle is always going to be there, and there's a, you know, not not every engineer comes out of uh, out of school with a job. Like I know people who don't, who, you know, are going to have to fight a little bit harder. You know, it's just, it's just you know, if you're good, it's going to be there. The money's going to be there if you're good at what you do. 
And uh, but when I explain to them, like, look, mom, like, this is what I can do with this. Like, I, I could get a job at Netflix. I can, you know, I can pitch something to HBO and make a show there. You know, like, it's just it's gonna be hard. But you know, at the moment, like, if I'm good at what I do, eventually one of these companies are gonna want to give me a chance to make something with them. So the it clicked when she's when I told her like, hey, you know, like I'm with Netflix. She's like, oh, really? Damn. Either way, they say it's my life. It's what I'm doing with it. It doesn't really matter. But you know, the idea of going from somebody that would have made called um, I believe it was starting salary 60k. If I would have landed a pretty good job after college, compared to somebody who I don't know if I'm gonna have a job, uh, it was something that was surprising them a lot. Oh, definitely. But at the same time, if you don't take that chance to spread your wings, how do you know if you're going to soar like an eagle or if you're a dodo? The bird doesn't know how far its wings are going to carry it until it takes that chance. Also, they had never seen my work, so they didn't know, like, oh, is this a hobby for the kid? Do we even know if he's good at it? And then I, it's just like with podcasting, like when I told her, like, hey, I do this. She was like, oh, okay, what is it, like some thing? I'm like, well, no, mom, I mean, I've been doing it for, for, for a lot, like almost two years. I make money off this. You know, I've gotten, you know, interviews with pretty important people. And she was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And now even uh, every night she'll remind me, like, hey, are you going to go record? And go, how are you doing with the listens and everything? I'm like, okay, well, yeah. So then when, my, when I told my mom, when I showed my mom my, my documentary, when I think it clicked for her, she was like, wow, like, you know, she, it was like, she was watching something created by her own son, and she finally realized that maybe this isn't a hobby, and maybe this is actually something that he wants to do for his career, and he might be actually good at it. So, when you say the documentary, was that Immortal, or was that the Bloodline one? Bloodlines. Uh, Immortal was my short film before, uh, that, that was from 2016, I believe, uh, Bloodlines was 2017, if I'm correct. I think I think it was 2017 because then Killing You came out in 2018. Okay, and then that was your second film, which actually takes a look into your family background. So you ended up filming this without informing your mom about it first type thing? Basically, what's it called? I got the, the assignment. I said, Mom, they want me to do a documentary about my family history. Give me my number to my aunt. I'm going to call her up, see if we can schedule some interviews. And my mom was like, okay. And, I mean, she didn't really do much after that. You know, she was just like, okay. Hmm. Like I said, they just, they don't really understand what this is until I explained them to them. When she saw how much, how hard I was at work and like, you know, she was like calling for dinner and I'm like, hey mom, hold up. I'm editing something. Let me just finish up here. And then, you know, I, I was hard at work. I finished this movie in a, in a week, man. Which so is impressive because I mean, as someone who literally just tried to start learning film editing, it's a lot harder than some would give it credit for. Yeah, and I had to do the voiceover as well. And at that time, I didn't have this really phone that I have right now. It's sure, SM forty forty eight. You know, the one that I used to use for the podcast. So what's it called? I I, I did my best to make sure that the uh, that the audio sounded as good for the voiceover. I had to do, you know, I, I really pulled all the, the strings for that one. And I really wanted to make that one something that not just her, but my family would be proud of. I think I did do that job because, you know, a lot of them like it. And my, my family have, have all watched it. Most of them have watched it and they love it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I want to get into for sure is what your mom actually did 
feel about it once she sees that but before we get into that please give us a preface of bloodline and a little bit about your family history yeah so uh, bloodlines is a, bloodlines is a documentary about my family it looks at it through three different people the past the present and then the future you know we have my grandfather who was the past my aunt who's the present and then my little brother who's the future and I wanted to talk about, you know, how we came from being immigrants and then we basically have all crafted the idea of success. And we look, first look at my grandfather and I tell a really, really interesting story about my grandfather who, when he immigrated over here, he had to sleep on the side of the of the Rio Grande River uh, with, I believe, 25 cents to his name. With just 25 cents in his pocket, he would get up every day to go to work to buy to, to drive the bus until he could find a b- better job, and then he found one as a, a hairstylist, and he would um, continue on to do that. And when I talked to my grand, my aunt, I wanted to get the uh, I wanted to get the story about how they um, how they grew up because after that, my grandfather he had the property, but you know times weren't as good as to where they could um, stay here. They had to go work like any other Latino family during the 60s and the 70s. They go to up north and they work in the fields and they had to do that and, and the kids had to do it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like now where, you know, kids don't go outside to do, to mow the lawn. I'm one of those kids, yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it was back then. They all go outside and they help and they pick the, the cherries and they on the fields. And uh, I talked to my aunt about that because I believe it was before my mom was born is when they had to when they stopped going over there because they finally got, you know, better. They were better financially and they were able to stay over here and actually work over here and not have to uh, worry about going to the. So it was ago. I told this whole story and success to my father my grandfather because he told me sitting down one day he goes um i live like a king now and i said well, what do you mean and he goes i have a property all my children are eating you know they have children you know i i don't have to worry about a job i'm pretty much what i wanted to be you know I'm, i live like a king now i have my own property i have my own shelter i have my kids my kids have kids and that's what he basically wanted for himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can picture sleeping beside the Rio Grande River. Um, like at that point, your grandfather probably just wondering if you would ever be able to provide that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then when I talked to my aunt, you know, she didn't care where she lived. She she wanted her child to go to to go to college. She wanted her to do what she wanted to do and graduate take advantage of the sacrifices that we all did that she did that her that she did for her for her child and uh, that's exactly you know what what to go when when I talked to my mom I you know that's basically all she she says too you know like my father grew up in a very terrible poverty poverty in Mexico and my mother you know it wasn't that bad for her as it was for the other ones who had to go work the fields but you know my mom always tells us like you know your dad and I we we bust our asses every day to make sure that you guys have the opportunities that you have, you know, like, you know, school is the only thing that you have to do right now. You know, you don't want to be in the things that we're doing. I, I really wanted to get that side from my, because her, her daughter, I mean, she went to school, she graduated with a me- mechanical engineering degree and she works at a really good job now. She, my aunt is not, doesn't really see the monetary thing as being the most important. She's just happy that, you know, that 
she graduated she went to school and she took advantage of the opportunities that were, were weren't given to her but where she was able to pass down to her to her yeah without a doubt the ability to know that you know maybe my daughter doesn't have to go work in a cherry field to assist with making it so that my family can be more comfortable yeah and that was the interesting thing when i got to my brother because you know now what i wanted to convey there was him taking advantage of all those opportunities as well but doing a different path you know him wanting to do what he's always wanted to do his passion which it's acting and my you were saying how I'm, I'm always so grateful for what what my family did and you know what, because i am where i am because of my family you know all their struggles and how much they fought and he's he's gonna use that to um to just keep pushing himself to be able to finish school and become a professional actor mm-hmm. and one of my favorite parts about that future part of it is where your brother says that when he goes to new york and it made him realize just exactly why he was doing this and just how much this opportunity meant to him yeah because not everybody especially people that look like us and talk like us man not all of us have the opportunities to do these things so when my brother got that chance it opened his eyes it's just just the way that it was for me when i um when i took when i had my first you know class you know i look there and i'm seeing people that look like me and talk like me and i'm like you know what we can do this you know the times are changing in hollywood but soon we're going to be the majority and you know we're finally going to have that diverse uh, voice because they're not telling our stories so i said you know what if they're not going to tell my story our stories i'm going to have to be the one so i i wanted to just you know tell the story of a family from bronzo texas that lives right there near the border and i wanted to share it with the world and especially because I feel like one of the most interesting aspects about my family was the fact that we were one of the first families. I believe it was the second or the first. Both my grandfather and this man got here at the same time frame. Were the first ones to settle in this land. You know, they built houses here on this on this land. It was basically just land here. And you know, you know, if you go back in history, you what's it called? You realize that you know there was people in this land, but they were you know relocated. But we're the first into this land right here. So it means even more that I get to talk about the, the you know, where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it is a beautiful, beautiful look at the progression and just how hard work in a few generations can do a lot and can create a lot of opportunity that maybe necessarily you mm-hmm. don't know is there because you don't know what doors you're opening when mm-hmm. you do that not only for yourself but for your future children yeah i mean the reason that i am the way i am is my told me like i don't care how hard it gets i don't care what's happening you don't give up and that was what my grandmother ta- taught her too you know god rest her soul man you know that you know that one was one of the h- hardest you know she was the toughest woman i've ever met and i always go back and i always tell people that i i was i was raised by a great but i was raised by incredibly strong women my grandmother my aunt my my mom just incredibly strong women who didn't give up my grandmother came from terrible poverty as well and you know she she fought so hard to make sure that her children had a plate to eat and that they had a roof over their head 
and you know there they were she was a big reason as well why I wanted to tell the story just sadly when when I want when I was making this documentary she, she was a uh, you know advanced with her Alzheimer's so I I knew I wasn't going to get an accurate story from her uh you know and I I didn't want to have to put her through that and having her to relive some of the so I decided to get it from the aspect of my my grandfather, but you know she was it go she was a huge part of this as well and I, and I feel like that's also a a thing that kind of makes her proud of what I'm doing now because you know now she 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 died in in March if yeah. I remember correct and now she looks back and there will always be that video that talks about our family and it, you know that's always going to remind her about the incredible hard work that my grandmother did for us and. Shane, I was on Shane's podcast and he was like, dude, this is the one I love. And for the reasons that you guys are saying why you love it, there's a, there's a deeper reason why that one's my, my, um, my, one of my personal favorites that I've done. And it, it's just, it's a lot to do with the emotional connection to it. Well, and one of the only things that we get to leave behind us when we go is the memories that we've created with those people that we leave behind. And for her to maybe she wasn't necessarily able to share her story exactly but for her to know that at least part of the memory that she left and the hard work that she put in is being represented yeah okay. yeah it, so. it, you know that that that's always something that's you know that i'm always going to carry with me man and i you know i i, I always tell them that you know that my grandmother was you know, really the strongest woman I've ever met. I've never met another one other than my mother. She, my grandmother's the most strongest woman I've ever met. Well, I mean, it takes a community to build a village, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. But let's move on to killing you now. So between your first two films, there's definitely a big difference in style, in presentation mm -hmm. and with killing you which came out last year in 2018 once again it's a different style so you're definitely not trying to just fit within a single niche you're definitely challenging yourself with different ways of filming different ideas different emotions so let's get into killing you yeah this was the first time i actually had a cast director and also, this was the first time I had a DP with, so I didn't have to do the the camera work. Even though I love the camera work, it was nice to just sit back and direct. And this movie was an assignment as well, but I chose this play out of my love for crime thrillers. So, as you saw in Immortal, we didn't you don't really we didn't really touch on Immortal that much. But what led Immortal to become what it became was my fascination with the way that we interpret death and hmm. i wanted to talk about how you know not lonely but how something as much as nature could could uh, personify existence so then in killing you i wanted to personify you know to really portray how somebody could basically convince another person that he doesn't know to not take away his life and as he tries to convince him, he slowly starts to stoop down to his level. And that is what just makes him snap and say, like, you're no different than me. And I don't want to do anything anymore because now I'm not taking away the life of an innocent. I'm taking away someone just like me. Which is somebody that he connects with and 
Mm-hmm. That's a reason as to why maybe before he didn't connect with the people that were yeah. his targets or his use. And you even like show that at the end of the film where the guy basically calls him a coward and he basically acknowledges mm-hmm. like, no, man, you are exactly me. You just haven't yeah. been pushed there yet. Yeah, you haven't been pushed there. If you see the beginning, he's ready to kill him. He's like, he's ready. Like, you know, this is it. This is going to happen. But as as time progresses and as he takes him through that journey, he's he's basically making him look like I'm not the only one with a fucked up brain. It looks like you're just as the same as me. And that's, you know, if I were to kill you, it's like if I'm killing myself as well. Definitely, definitely. And it's a lot of emotion in there because a lot of people feel that they can say one thing, but they don't actually know how they're going to react until Mm -hmm. they are put inside that situation and such is the story of the victim in this film where right away it's why did you choose me why did you pick me and then as soon as he starts to get the answers and realize that there is no true method to the madness of selecting the individual or anything else he starts to lose it himself and he starts to go well what is keeping me from being this person and goes as far as to end up threatening the person who was trying to kill him yeah it was it's a very it's a very interesting dynamic you know it's the killer and the kid and, and and you know the victim and then at the end the roles get reversed and the, the victim becomes the one who wants to kill the, the, the killer mm-hmm. and it's a really interesting and you know some of my favorite shots that i directed are in that, in that especially the one at the end when he's closing the door or that one where you know he's laying down and they're waking him up, and, he, and it's that nice vertical shot. And a lot of those um, those 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 shots from that film are some of my favorites I've ever directed. Even though there's a lot of shots in Bloodlines that are really beautiful, I'm always revisiting Killing You because that was the first time I you know didn't have to hold the camera. And I also worked with it. It was an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And another one of my favorite shots from that is the beginning shot, walking down the hallway. Oh, yeah, thank you, man. That one's... Yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and let you in on Secret, man. Uh, we had every shot that whole film, except for the first the first take. We, we actually did it in my room, and I didn't like the atmosphere of that place, so instead I changed it to the trash room in my dorm. And I, I shot it in there. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah, so what you see is actually him walking to my room. That's not the trash room. It's a, I really like that tracking shot, and I love the music I put behind it. Oh, and that. I, mm-hmm, I think we actually part. did like five takes of that. I, I, if I remember correctly, there were five takes that we did of that. No, that is definitely the best part, because if all you do is read the description before the film... The Mm -hmm. energy and the tension that is built with him walking down the hallway, you're sitting there and you're wondering to yourself, is this the victim? Is this the killer? Mm -hmm. What's going on? It builds a lot of tension until like Mm -hmm. the actual moment where you see the individual laying on the floor and like the tone and the music used in that moment definitely helps build that emotion and once again going back to building emotion without necessarily using dialogue Mm -hmm. yeah that's 
a big thing that I'm doing with this next one, and I know we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm I, I love visual storytelling a lot. I, I love my dialogue, but there is something about not having to speak a lot and you're already feeling what, what, what they're portraying. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's just it. As you can tell, well, the guys walking down the hallway that it's serious, something's happening, and he is dedicated to his task. But you don't necessarily know which one of the individuals it is at that moment. And it really starts to make you question what's happening. Yeah. That's um that that's a that's a film that I can't say I revisited what I did with that. I'm my style is very much influenced from two uh, different periods of film. Uh French New Wave cinema during the fifties and the sixties, and then um Italian neorealism during the fifties and the sixties. So in Italian neorealism they would take non professional actors and they would also film inside location, in on location. They wouldn't use a set. Like they would go on location and they just shoot there. Uh, some of the some of the big films from that era are Bicycle Thieves from uh, from Vittorio De Sica, uh, La Dolce Vita from Federico Fellini, uh, Mama Roma from Pier Paolo Pasolini. And you know you have these people who just said, "I'm going to go tell a story. I'm going to go out to the street and I'm going to use what I have at the moment and just tell this story." Definitely not necessarily mm-hmm. being dedicated to needing a set or everything to be going. It's just finding what can we make mm-hmm. work, what is ideal, and how can we make mm-hmm. this flow. Yeah, and I use a little bit of French, the French influence in this next one because I don't really use it in the last ones. Uh, I use a lot of the holding the shot, not necessarily cutting really fast, but holding the shot for a bit so that way those emotions can be conveyed. And uh, it was actually, I believe in, I can't remember the year, but Breathless from Jean-Luc Godard was the first one that implemented a tracking shot in, in filmmaking. And that's where I really got the influence for the tracking shot in, uh, in Killing You. All right. All right. So now that we've gotten a little bit of the background of your film experience, how you got into film, your short films leading up to this moment let's take a dive into beyond the river of course that was the main thing that you're here to talk about today so let's get into that let's sink our teeth fully into that one right away here but of course before we do that i want to take a small break just talk to the listeners of the desert tiger podcast about i love dtp.com because of course that is what helps me bring this show to you guys for free every single week and some of you guys are going to say well colton that's uh where we buy the merchandise for deserttigerpodcast.com and that's right that's because you are what helps me bring this show to you for free every single freaking week and of course there are other free ways that are amazing great ways to support the desert tiger podcast like sharing the episodes if you're a new listener to the show maybe you want to consider hitting subscribe and of course there's that very strong contingent of people who like to share the episodes that they are a very big fan of some of you share like every episode that we drop you guys are freaking amazing i love you so extra much But of course, that one way, that extra step, that thing that helps us go that little bit further to increasing what Desert Tiger Podcast is capable of doing is, of course, I love DTP.com. 
That is where you're going to go and get yourself the freshest in Desert Tiger Podcast gear. Like you've heard me say before, we currently have hats with that traditional logo on their way very soon. We have tank tops with that Desert Treader logo on its way very soon. I'm going to be unveiling the Desi Tig little cartoon tiger building a sand castle little design very soon on our social media if you don't follow us on your social media definitely do that so that you can see that we're probably going to be throwing that on some form of t-shirt or something because i mean why not right i think that it is entirely cute you guys have heard me talking about this for a long time well that's because sometimes i have really really crazy ideas i act on them and then it's just like oh wait i should probably hold off on this until summer because this is totally a summer thing well that's why it's been waiting for so damn long it's on its way so is the tank top so is the hats we're gonna be getting little wristbands in soon some pins the online store is going to be expanding fully we're going to be stocking up on female shirts for the traditional Desert Tiger logo shirt as well. So lots of things coming to that web store very, very soon. And of course, if you want to hear your ad here on the show during this mid-roll, during the beginning, or maybe even at the end of the show, maybe you want to access tons of people, hit us up over at desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com, and we can talk about getting your product advertised right here. All right, you guys, like I said, we're going to be sinking our teeth fully into Beyond the River, what inspired it, and everything about it. And of course, after that, we're going to be diving into the Nerdcore podcast today with my guest, Raul Mendoza. That's right, we still have a lot left to go. So what are we waiting for? Let's do it. Let's jump back into this. The Desert Tiger Podcast started to bridge into this next project and one that I feel is probably going to be your strongest and that's saying something after Bloodline and (laughs) this is Beyond the River so like you said you tried to film it with a different style this is your second time actually working with actors this is your first time actually having an assistorial director on set so what is the difference going into this film? Was this another project too for school or was this just something that you felt that you truly needed to make from your heart? This is a passion project. This is a project that I had to make from my heart, man. This is a, not a school thing. I, I, I started saying that when I come back for the summer over here, I have to do two projects. So I do I did Beyond the River. We just wrapped. And today we start production on uh, Borderlands, the next documentary. That's the, the second part to Bloodlines. And... Yeah, this one, would you like me to explain the, the synopsis? Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Well, Beyond the River, I wrote this film. I directed it. I shot it and produced it. Uh, it is also produced by my other brother, my older brother, Luis Fernando, and Alex Flores. It is the first one under the banner of our production company, Cyclops Film, as my brothers and I is a production company and Alex Flores is, is editing it. The poster is done by the wonderful and talented Alejandra Almeida. And it stars this young couple of Jose and Jessica who have 24 hours to spend together before the border is closed for the foreseeable future. So they're separate. They're being going to be separated and they have to make the most out of the time that they have left together. 
Okay, so this, of course, is being based on a what-if mm -hmm. of something that definitely could have came down. It was something mm -hmm. that was sent out as a tweet basically saying that mm -hmm. if Mexico didn't start to crack down on its own immigration, that the border was going to be closed. And I'm sure, being mm -hmm. somebody from the Latino community, there was a little bit of a panic inside. Oh, of your community yeah. and I can definitely see where this is born from especially where I live man a lot of because the American healthcare system is terrible a lot of us depend on going to Mexico to do our health stuff you know like I I shit you not man a dentist appointment over there costs 25 with no insurance like we're talking about like it's cheap and a lot of us go over there to make sure that we get the help that we need. A lot of us go over there for groceries because it's also, you know, it's it's cheaper. It's just, it's, it's we're so close that we have to take advantage of those things. A lot of our families live on that side. So we're, it's, it's not that hard. It's not the same thing as, you know, living in Houston and having to drive hours to go and see a family. Here just takes like a good 40 minutes and I can go visit the family on the other side. If where they live right there, you know, if they're later out, it's going to take far longer, but you know what I mean. And so when he tweeted that, I wanted to write something about this. I actually have another script written closely to this, but I'm not going to talk about that too too much right now because it's something that I'm still trying to conceptualize so that way I could actually start filming it. But when he tweeted this, I started thinking not everybody understands being a parent. So being separated from your child is something very different that I can't convey. But I know damn well everybody has felt something for someone that they love. And to be separated from that person without any input and having no input at all in that decision, I really wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk emotional and physical separation. Yeah, because the, the example I told you, like, Everybody who's in a relationship at the moment, you you separate from your partner every day when you when you stop seeing them. But you know that you're going to see them again eventually, whether that be during the weekend when you go see them again, or tomorrow when you see them again, or when you wake up from your from your sleep and they're right next to you. But you know they're, but you you've never been separated and you don't know if you'll ever see them again. And that is something that is a very terrifying concept because it is something that has happened in history before. So you never know exactly what direction mm -hmm. it's going to end up going because right now we currently do have internment camps. And I mean, that is a step within itself. I mean, look, man, go back to the, to the, uh, after the, the, during the Great Depression, Operation Wetback. And mm -hmm. when all this stuff started going down about the camps here, is it gonna, well, I'm calling it what they are. They are fucking internment camps. And, oh, I'm so sorry, Colt, am I allowed to curse? Oh, dude, they are fucking internment camps. Yeah, 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 I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but, you know, I even, I tweeted out, like, if you don't know about Operation Wetback, you should go and research that right now. Basically, you know, the Latino community immigrants in general were blamed for the Great Depression. So they started deporting non-citizens and also citizens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people were sent to the other side 
who have never grown up in that side and they didn't know that that country but and they were you know it, it's this kind of the same thing that we're seeing right now especially with the current climate and i really wanted to talk about that because you know even farther back i mean after the u.s mexico war you know they the uh, forced treaty that they never that the u.s never what they call followed a lot of the land was lost and you know we were made to feel like foreigners in our own country and it, it's i really you know brad asked me if i'm taking a, a, a political stance with it and i said no because this is a film about loss at its core mm-hmm. and loss is something that can be felt with everybody it's a humane thing to want to be with the person you love it, that's that should not be a political thing and oh. Definitely. I want well, to go. That's when I said it's not a political stance because I could relate. I could make another a soldier goes off to war, and he does the same thing or she does the same thing. She doesn't know when she doesn't know when she'll ever see her partner again, if she'll die in this in this tour. Or I could do it where it's a what's it called a, a mother who what uh, has to be a migrant worker and the daughter the son or daughter has to stay with with a relative. And you know that. This is a story that's kind of universal to be, you know, to be separated from someone. So I really seen the climate really influenced it. But this was something that was in my brain for, I want to say, like two years at least. I was thinking about this film for two years. Well, definitely. And it's definitely not to say that it is a political stance because you could be going in much more direct directions in to do that. And I agree that it's more of a human stance and this is something where for operation wetback this happened less than a hundred years ago and the fact that Mm -hmm. people are forgetting about the fact that this happened goes to show just how well misinformation on the part of like different parts of society is just how Mm -hmm. powerful it is in making people forget that this actually Mm -hmm. happened and it's like you said it also can connect to somebody who maybe their their husband had to go off to war because for many a years and in still a lot of places conscription is very much a thing and if someone decides mm-hmm. that you need to go to war like your husband is being shipped off tomorrow i'm sorry madam during yeah. world, during world war ii there was japanese internment camps where families lost everything some families ended up getting separated inside of the American society. And that's something that gets hidden in history. Yeah. I, I told Brad that I, I could have easily done this film where it was a Japanese woman who was being sent to an internment camp and her her white uh, lover was the one who was going out to war. And I could have done a huge play on where that, how, how that plays out. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to be a very humane thing. Obviously, it's going to be looked as political because it's done on the border, but that, I had to tell it from what I know, and this is what I know the best. And so when I'm telling you when people are misinformed, it's, it's because they refuse to teach our history, man. Like, you know, people don't know that Latinos were lynched at a high, high rate. The only reason there is no certain number for it is because they were jotted down by the Texas Rangers, and the Texas Rangers were the ones who were doing the, the, the lynching here in South Texas. So, you know, there was a high amount. And, and also, I mean, I could go in talking about the massacre of the, of the 1910s. They were forcefully trying to relocate, trying to remove people from Mexicans from their land here. And they just couldn't because they were controlling the economy for so long. 
the only way that they could do it was through mass murder and they sent the Texas Rangers down and they basically massacred everybody that they could find and that was done with the help of you know the Texas Rangers and also Anglo uh, wave of immigrants of migrants and you know I, I, I you know it might be seen as political but I promise you all watching this like it, it might get a little political at times but I promise it, it's not a political stance. At, at its core, I wanted to make a film about loss and separation. Okay, so let's get into that because, yes, because the fact that the reason they're going to be separated is because of a political decision, that's what pulls that into it. Mm -hmm. But at its core, this is a film about love and trying to get the most out of a fleeting mm -hmm. amount of time that you may never know might exist again and this is where i reiterate i love dialogue but in this film i implore everybody to not pay attention that much to the dialogue uh what's it called try to soak in the moments they're living together the, the moments that they're doing what they're doing the, those those embraces those kisses those hugs that's what i want you to see because you know these the dialogue is there to support the story but the actual story is being conveyed by the body language, by the moments they're spending together. And then, because you know what the ending is going to be. There is no happy ending to this. There, there, the separation will happen. But if you're trying to analyze the dialogue, uh, you're not doing intent, what I intended to do, even that's a great thing that you're doing. Thank you if you like the dialogue. But try to soak in these moments that they're living together because that's honestly what I was going for. Mm -hmm. And it goes to speak where in that sort of situation, most people wouldn't know what to say, but they would know mm -hmm. that they want would want to spend every last second they possibly could with their loved one. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wrote in the script where one of the characters at the end, he just, the character just doesn't know what to say. The character has been, has all day to muster up the words to tell the other character, but the character just doesn't, it just can't come to words with it. You just, you just can't find the words to say. And that's powerful. That is powerful to say, just because what do you say in that moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what you, do you say in that moment? You mm -hmm. want to comfort that person. You want to reassure them that you're going to be able to be able to see each other again and hold each other again but you can't necessarily do that yeah yeah and um you know it's i wasn't i wanted to say like you know i i myself you know i've never been in a relationship and here i am trying to to convey one on screen and you know i i started when i started shooting because we just wrapped mm -hmm. you know i felt that i was doing kind of a, like a corny thing but then as i progressed it I, I really started seeing how well I was directing this, and you know, maybe when once that once the final cut is here, mm -hmm. I, I think that people are going to be really interested to see the, the um see the see the dynamic between these two actors because the actress, that's her boyfriend. You know, I I, I in the script I had it written down as uh just kisses on the cheek because I didn't want him. You know, your job as a director is to make sure that your cast is feel safe and comfortable, and I did not want to make my actress feel uncomfortable. Even though she was open to doing kissing, but I didn't want to force that on her, you know, to convey my, my vision because my vision was always just the moments. It wasn't really the intimacy. Mm -hmm. But when her boyfriend stepped in, 
I, I said, you know what? Now I want to play with this. I really want to play with this. And, you know, as I also as someone who's never really, you know, kissed a woman, those scenes were also very, very interesting for me to direct. Mm hmm. Without a doubt, because for a couple, I mean, they themselves can definitely think to themselves, what would it be like? Like, if we had to kiss, like this was the last time we had to kiss, how would you kiss me? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting uh, uh, concept that I that I tried to convey in this film, and by the way, I owe a lot of what I did this that first half to my AD, to my assistant director, because he did a lot of helping. You know, what's it called? I I basically had to wear so many hats. I had to do you know I had to be my own AD the second day, but if I didn't have the help I had that first day, I, I think I'd still be shooting the film this weekend. <laughs> It's, it's kind of crazy just how much an extra hand can help. So let's go into some of the behind the scenes of the filming because, like you said, one of the things as a director that you want to do is make sure that your crew is comfortable. Mm -hmm. Another thing as a director who is on a budget or possibly in your case, no budget at all, something that I've heard... <laughs> Something that I've heard from directors before is the idea that like one of the best things for a small budget director to know is where to focus on things on and where you can draw back on things. So what were some of the challenges that you came into? What were some of the things that needed to change once you actually mm -hmm. got on set and realized you didn't have like the lighting you wanted to or any of that other things and just take us behind the scenes of the filming i'm i'm one i'm so stubborn with this with this um with this belief but i i believe that that gear should not matter story is king and story comes before gear 100 percent. but one of my challenges here was not having the gear that i needed i mean i had a lens that was that was not well equipped for low light I also had a old old tripod that I finally replaced, and I also had a um, a stabilizer that you know it's not the stable it is. I re I realized as I was filming that the the film the scene going out of focus adds a lot to what's going on because it only started going out of focus towards the end, and if I started realizing it, that's me trying to convey that you're kind of losing a grip with what's happening because you're trying your hardest to find a way that this could go, but you can't. You're, there's nothing you can do to change that. So, you know, the vision will be bl bl blurry and hazy, but that's also a stylistic choice with me because I could have just reshot the film this weekend, mm -hmm. those parts that I got wrong. But I feel like now when I saw how that played out, I said that's more of a stylistic choice for me. And uh, another challenge was working with somebody who's never, you know, acted in a short film before. And I had to really devote my time to him the most. And I had to tell him, like, you know, this is kind of what I want out of you. But don't worry. I'm I'm very much the director who lets their cast direct me at times. I mean, during Killing You, my my DP was directing me at points. Mm -hmm. And I and I like and I don't mind that. I don't you know, I, I'm not really power hungry guy. I Michael J. White was on a podcast before. Uh, talking about Nolan's uh, directing him during uh, Dark Knight, and he basically went up to Nolan and told him like, "Hey man, have you ever thought about doing this with this scene instead?" And Nolan didn't even fight him. He just said, "Yeah, let's go ahead and try that out." 
and that's kind of the way I am as well. I don't really fight it. I'm like, if my if my my AD was directing me at times as well during the first day, and I I I went in and I tried that, and then, you know what he directed actually ended up in the cut. You know, that's what I ended up wanting to go with. Uh, I changed the ending as well because my actors went ahead and did something completely different, and I changed the ending for that, and I really liked that. What we did, there were just choices that I made with no budget. You know, the gear is always going to be one of the big things, but the use of light was a big one for me. I love natural lighting, man. I, the reason why I haven't bought lighting is really my stubbornness because I love natural light. I love how that works, and I used you know, the lighting inside the locations we filmed and also where we were at, like the park and stuff. And I, I, I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do with it. You know, I don't have the money to buy lighting, but I also know that this is going to convey that this is like if it's happening right in front of you. And if like, if you knew these two people, it's, this is what you would imagine what their day would go. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So some of those shortcomings actually ended up helping mm -hmm. that storytelling dynamic yes 100 percent, man wow. yeah and like i said i i let my i let my cast go with hey you know if you want to improvise and do something go ahead and do it i'm not stopping you from that uh, just follow some of the m major things i have on the script here but if you feel comfortable to come to me and tell me like hey i want to do it like this instead and i'm going to be into it i'm not going to be the power hungry guy I'm just going to say, let's go ahead and try that out and see how it goes. So, from this being your biggest crew, did you have a little bit more of a challenge keeping everything on focus? Mm, my crew was one, two, three, four, five, six people. And uh, that was my casting crew. The biggest challenge with the crew, man, it was honestly scheduling. Scheduling. But everything that happened on set... That that's really was as fluid and as well versed as I as I needed it to be. So, how long did it actually end up taking you to shoot the film? Two days. Oh wow! So not that long at all. No, not that long. Yeah, we shot all the day scenes on on last Saturday, and then we wrapped on Sunday night. Oh, fantastic! So you guys actually managed to get a lot of the shots on the first couple takes, then. Sundays, yes, but I did a lot of uh, I did like about three takes sometimes, but the, some of them I was really happy with with the first take, and I, I used that. But a lot of them had to be done in one take. Uh, I incorporate a lot of my love for one shots in this film. Mm -hmm. And I was using a lot of that, but the one that I took the most takes were actually the one on uh, on Sunday. Okay. Well, and I mean, that's just to say is sometimes even on professional sets, it can take hours just to pull off one scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick was notorious for wanting to do repeated takings. Uh, that scene in The Shining, the Here's Johnny scene was, re was, was shot 128 times, if I remember correctly. Um... There's actually a point where the lead female mm -hmm. actor in that film actually was pulling out her hair because she felt that Stewie Kubrick was actually like trying to call her out by making her refilm things so many times. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just I mean, there's some method to the madness, man. <laughs> That's all I have to say. But yeah, 
I can't picture myself doing 128 days. I'll be pulling my hair. But, I mean, like I said, there's a method to the madness. Oh, exactly. Everybody else has their own style, and everybody else has their own way of portraying the story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. when can we anticipate Beyond the River to be available for our viewing pleasure? By the end of July or the first week of August. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you're actually going to get to see that before anybody else does. Oh, so if you are a patron of the Nerdcore, you actually benefit mm -hmm. in more ways than just from the Nerdcore itself. Exactly, yeah. You're going to get the first look at the stills. You're going to get the first look at the official poster, because the one we have right now, that's the teaser poster. And you'll actually be the first one to see the trailers as well, the trailer. Oh. And then you'll be the first one to watch the film. Cool, cool. So, I mean, we actually dived into the Nerdcore a little bit at the beginning of the show, so let's end off with that. Of course, the yeah. Nerdcore is your podcast. It's one of the many ways that we ended up connecting. A little behind-the-scenes note here. We actually ended up becoming friends through a wrestling Facebook group, and then it was mm -hmm. through the love of art and creation that we actually ended up strengthening this bond so the yep. nerd core what inspired you to build that show and just how has it grown because it sort of has grown quite a bit from you and a few friends to multiple shows with multiple hosts and it's incredible what you have achieved yeah man it's grown to the point where i'm finally getting the trolls yeah i'm being oh. called a shit oh my being goodness called... you've gotten <laughs> trolls now yeah yeah, oh, somebody yes. said I'm paid by Marvel. What? <laughs> yeah, somebody said that I'm paid by Marvel to hype up these movies. But like, if you look past, if you look at my past opinions, I didn't enjoy uh, Avengers Endgame as much. I didn't enjoy Avengers Infinity War as much. And I've actually been the most critical about the MCU than anybody on my on my on my panel. So um, I, I was like, I'm not paid by Marvel. <laughs> like the hell. Considering I, I, how you're positive towards the DCU, I think most people would consider that your pockets most definitely aren't getting lined by the other party. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So I started the Nerdcore in 2017, September 2017, with Luis and myself. Uh, Luis likes to say that I'm the one who, who created it my, myself, but... Luis was the inspiration I needed, you know, the, the, the yes, do it, that I needed to go with this idea. I basically was making YouTube videos before. I was making, you know, I was doing vlogs, but yeah. I was also doing movie reviews, and I was talking about my collection. And I was like, I don't like being in front of a camera. I feel weird, and I, uh, I'd rather put my equipment to making short films. And I still wanted to talk about movies. For sure. I still wanted to talk about I still wanted to talk about wrestling. I still wanted to talk about video games, but I didn't know the way to do it. And then you know, Anchor became a thing, and I told Luis like, "Hey man, I make a podcast. I want to talk about movies and what we watch, and we'll talk about and we'll review stuff." And he was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And we filmed that first episode, and well, yeah, it's the most listened to one now. Go back, I go back and. Luis was here for one episode at the beginning, and then he had to go, he had to leave because of personal reasons. One of my best friends, Brad, 
who I had been following on Twitter for a long time. Uh, he did a thing called This Is Local Love, which was a clothing brand that supported uh, local artists. And I have been a friend with him since like 2012, 2013. So then he said, hey, man, if you ever want to have some podcast, look no further than me. I'll go ahead and get on with you. We'll talk about all this shit. I said, okay, man. So we brought him on for the third episode where we talked about The Last Jedi. And since then, he was like, I'll be a regular dude if I need to be. And I told him, sure, man. Just, I don't know when Luis is going to come back. And then, you know, he, I was like, you know what, Brad? You're here day in, day out. You're putting in the work. We went from bi-weekly to doing this weekly. And then we went daily. And I said, you know what? You're the, you're the host. You're the host for, you're the co-host of this show. And Luis understood. He was like, hey, man, he puts way more work than I do. I don't ever want. I don't want to take away that position from him. Plus, your dynamic for what you do on those shows is so, so, um, so great with him that I'm kind of glad that I'm on the sidelines with you to do the other show because you know I, I was go. I'm not going to take that away from Brad. Mm-hmm. So, and then we added Ashley and we created our video game show and then an animation. We just grew the feed and. I mean, I'm glad to say that we are at 41,300 some total listens with an uh, audience in foreign countries, and we've done we've done a lot, man. And I think a lot of that is because of our love of what we're talking about, but also our our strengths with being dedicated and not wanting to take breaks. Because the only times we've missed episodes are because I honestly cannot do them. Like I, I was sick, I was away. Or, you know, I just it wasn't near my setup at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I love what I do. And we've had you on the Nerdcore. We've had you on Gamercore. And I do want to get you on the Imperfect Files, which is my interview show. Oh. And I want to, yeah. I, my, podcasting is such a love of mine. But a lot of the reasons why I love it so much is because it's so accessible. And it's so easy to do. Well, and that's just it is it's crazy how it can evolve and how a dynamic can grow because like you said you started off with louis but it ended up shifting Mm -hmm. to brad and over time you and brad have built a very strong dynamic with each other you play off each other incredibly well and it goes good Mm -hmm. and that goes for like the ladies of the nerd core as well and all that other stuff yeah. like your coasts are like yeah. all your hosts and all the different people who are involved are like really starting to come mm-hmm. into their own and it's really yeah. awesome that like you allowed them the platform to do that too because maybe it's a little bit scary to go off and do that on their own but having somebody like give them that opportunity to actually even just see if mm-hmm it's something that they could enjoy was strong and like i said those of that have stick around and are doing an incredible job with the nerdcore yeah i, I want to say you know i never i cannot picture myself not brad uh but i will say that you know one of the other ones the host that we've had that really has grown into something incredible it's ashley man ashley i said it since the, since the beginning if ashley could she could take care of gamercore by herself and, you know, that would stay the same, and it would be great, a great show. She's amazing on Ladies of Nerdcore. Her dynamic with Daniela is amazing. I love that dynamic so much. And, you know, she's just so incredible. But that came from me being patient with her and also, you know, kind of pushing her to be the person she is right now. And it's because I believed in her so much, and I, and I kept pushing for her to be who she is. And I, and I gave her that platform, 
And if anybody ever wants to know anything about how, what goes on in the sidelines, I have no control over these shows. I don't ask them to send scripts, and I don't revise them or anything. I say, just make sure you have the episodes uploaded by this day, and what them to me so I can upload them. Like, and you can talk about whatever the fuck you want. Like, you know, I, I'm very much the guy who I just want these people to do what they want and feel comfortable and talk about the things they need to talk about fantastic i love it and that's definitely something that you do allow with your guests and everything too yeah yeah dude like i I never try to silence my guests at all um i I never try to i never try to make them feel uncomfortable like with zach stance when we when we interviewed him i asked him if it was okay if i could ask about booster goal and because i didn't want to ask about anything that i didn't have the permission to you know to talk for him to talk and you know, you're only going to get there if you you establish that trust between each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And that's one part about interviewing that is one of my favorite parts is like that moment when the individual realizes that like, you know what, maybe I don't have to put a guard up and maybe I can trust this person with sharing my vision. Yeah, it's such a fun thing, man. Interviewing so much fun. And uh, it's, it's, it's something that I really enjoy doing. I'm glad that I started show because i've been interviewing a lot of really (laughs) well i'm glad that you allowed me to be a part of the journey and i'm glad that i've been able to see the nerdcore grow from its beginnings because i've been a subscriber since day one yeah thank you bro thank you Ah, no worries no worries at all thank you so much for joining me here today raul before i let you go though please go ahead and plug anything that you feel is necessary i'm gonna do a lot of a plug here man but you can follow me on instagram and twitter at the nerdy chicano go ahead and do that there's where you get all of my stuff about what i'm doing you'll see my links to my uh youtube channels you can check out my films also, you um, wa- you will want to go and check out the Nerdcore. You can find that on all podcast platforms: Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcast, even the ones that I don't know at all. Radio Public, I don't know what the hell that is, but we're on there. And uh, <laughs> you can uh, also, you know, if you want to become a Patreon supporter, we would love for you to go and do that. It's not needed, but if you do want to see this movie before anybody else does, it's it's pretty much a given that you're gonna get it before anybody else. So. That's patreon.com slash the nerdcore, C-O-R-P-S. Hey, and and, uh, at the same time, in doing that, you're supporting a great group of hardworking individuals. mm -hmm. None of that money goes to anything personal, guys. It's always gear and things that we need to improve the podcast with. Uh, Paying artists to make the graphics and stuff. Like, yeah, that's, uh, what's it called? It's it's great. Our Patreon supporters are so uh, incredible, especially our executive producers and stuff. So we love them a lot. And, I'm trying to think about anything else. That's pretty much it. I want to say, just keep your eyes peeled. Go to my YouTube channel and uh, and check that out. Just like I said, go to my Twitter, click the link, and it'll go and take you to like a bunch of things that you can choose from. You can choose the YouTube channel, and that's where I'll have the uh, the film uploaded to. I'm pretty sure when when the film gets uploaded, Colton will tweet out the link and stuff and put it on the episode description too. So just go ahead and go do that. And uh, yeah, please, uh, th- please and thank you. I'm really excited for you to see this. Um, I will end on one thing. I think this is my favorite film I've shot. I'm really, really happy to hear that because just I have like I've seen the other three films and I haven't seen a single thing besides a couple of pictures and posters 
of what's upcoming and I am really excited for this because I feel like you're really starting to get into a real special groove here. Yeah. I I, I like to say that I'm kind of blossoming my style and um I I'm not a one trick pony per se. There's there's things that I really want to do. There's there's stories that I really want to tell, but I my there's a there's a certain style with my directing with my directing my films. But that doesn't mean that I'm kind of pinpointed to one genre, like we said before. And I, and I really, I really, honestly can't wait to see have you guys see this. Okay. So before I let you go, I have one last question. Throw it at me, bro. So the love of storytelling started off with Disney, with the animated world. So you've started stepping into the film world. You've gone through different styles from documentary to different film styles from the film noir to using different things having animation being what truly brought you in is at any point do you feel like you want to try and push into that realm as well i am not gonna say that it's not gonna happen but it's something i definitely want to try to do uh i I feel like the story i wanted to tell already happened it it was called and but a lot of my movies deal with a lot of depressing things but i do want to make an animated film that I have to leave for for the young the young latin children fantastic and of course i know at some point you want to make sure that there's a latin superhero for those young mm-hmm. young children as well yeah yeah it's going it's 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 supposed to be happening with blue beetle but i don't know if it's ever going to happen cuz i haven't heard anything about that movie in a bit but I hope what's so. it called if it doesn't happen by the time I'm working in the industry, then I might just have to pitch my idea for it. Well, maybe you're going to be the one to make Blue Beetle just exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, hopefully, man. There is one idea that I'm trying. I'm circling at the moment for a feature that I've wanted to write for a long time, and I've talked about it on the podcast. So, you know, I, after we're done putting this film out and I finish the doc, I'm going to kind of go back to writing uh, more scripts and start working on my feature, but... Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and leave you with a with a tease that the next short film that I'm doing is science fiction, and we are working on the script at the moment. Ooh, so even then, we're still getting into another realm with the next one, continually changing mm-hmm. it up. I love it. Mm-hmm. And this next one deals with another identity that I have that is not uh, my culture. It's a lot about my disability. Ooh, all right. Well, fantastic. I can't wait to hear more about that as well. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Raul, to speak about your love of filmmaking, your short films, and of course, the one that is coming up next, Beyond Mm -hmm. the River. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope anybody who's listening who wants to be interested in making uh, movies, I hope you guys... um, First of all, I hope you guys are watching movies. I hope you're not somebody who wants to make them and not watch them. The best way to really learn how to make movies are to watch them as well and to also practice what you're wanting to do. Try to consume as many films as you can. Don't consume just the stuff that's being put out. Consume foreign films, consume films from different periods of time. And just know that you're able to create the story that you can t- that you want to tell and you'll you'll have to do it. And for my people, for mi gente, my people, uh, if you're Latino and you don't know if you're three, we have three people that have all uh, won Oscars 
in the last 10 years. Yeah, I've been the a Mexican has won the best director for 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 the Oscars. So we can do it. We just got to learn to when we're going to have to when and how we want to tell our stories, guys. And I think that's the most important thing, especially for um for a group that has not been represented represented in cinema as much as they should be. Exactly. It is time to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. 100%, man. Like I said, if they're not going to tell our stories, we're going to have to be the ones who have to tell them. Well, I'm glad that you were willing to be the change that you want to see inside your world, my friend. Because if we aren't the difference we want to see inside our own world, who is going to be that? Who is going to inspire those who aren't sure if they can be either. All right, I want to take a moment to thank Raul for joining me here on the Desert Tiger podcast to discuss everything going on in his world. And of course, I want to take a moment to thank you guys, the listeners of the DTP, for tuning in to this, my conversation with Raul Mendoza as we went beyond the river and through the bloodlines. So thank you so very much. If you enjoyed what you heard here on today's episode, maybe you want to share it with your friends, your family, maybe on your social media. I would enjoy that so very much. If you're a new listener of the show, maybe you want to hit subscribe or follow on whatever service you're listening on. Or if you are an iTunes or Apple podcast listener, maybe you want to go ahead and give this show a review. What kind of review? A five-star. My, my, that would do. I'd be very happy with that. That would help us out so very much. That helps the show chart. It helps us find new listeners and all of these things help us grow just like I love DTP does. You guys know, you've heard me say we're going to be getting some tank tops, some hats, some bracelets, some pins, all sorts of different things, new designs coming soon, new different things for summer. We're going to be bringing new things for the fall as well. Going to be keeping all sorts of different things coming in and out, keeping you guys nice and warm, whether it's sunny, whether it's a storm. It's actually kind of raining like a madman outside in Kamloops. So hopefully it is a beautiful day wherever you are, whatever time you happen to be listening to this episode. All right, you guys, next week on the show, we're actually going to be dropping the episode on Friday. And our guest is going to be Ilvibe. Wait a second, Colton. Wasn't Ilvibe supposed to be our guest back in April? Yes, well, there was a little bit of timing issues there. Ilvibe actually ended up going on over to the Netherlands in, to play in a festival. So, of course, he's a very, very busy individual. Those of you who have been following the show for a while know that he was a guest last year on the show, and we had a ton of fun. Well, I am super excited to chat with the boy Illy again. He's actually dropping a new single entitled Bottles Are Low that comes out tomorrow. So if you guys are super excited to have Illy back on the show, maybe you want to head on over to your Spotify, your Apple Music, your Google Play Music as well. Maybe you want to check out Bottles Are Low or any of the other singles that Illvibe has released recently in order to get hyped up for that episode. Until then... Keep being glorious, DTP fam!